0: Hello, thank you for coming. Just Bloody Post-its are conversations with people who get out there on the internet to share their work, to find their people. And when you can get into a groove and discover how to be most yourself online, they do find you. I have lots of artists and makers and creators in my audience. It's just evolved that way. I never really said, hello artists, I can help you with your marketing, but we must have an unspoken understanding or recognising each other, a kind of common ground or kindred spirits. I'm not sure, but let's get arty this week. We are joined by the contemporary British painter Alice Sheridan who shares how she found her way out there authentically.
1: Part of being an artist is recognising that not everything you make is going to be great, you're going to have things that don't go well along the way and you've kind of just got to show up and do the work as you and there was a little kind of moment where it clicked and I thought I can only do this if I can totally
0: show up as the genuine version of me and not put on a front anymore. Alice is an artist who also runs a membership called the Connected Artist Club. She has a weekly podcast, Art Juice, and community of more than 37,000 followers on Instagram. Look her up at Alice Sheridan Studio. Context is all. She's been building this profile for more than 10 years now, since she went back to work after kids and all in on her art career. We chat about moving forward when the path ahead isn't clear, the tricky art of being yourself and stick with us until the end when you'll hear how we're both dropping the ball at the moment but first because I like to picture how and where people do their thing i asked alice whether she's work from home or work from studio
1: well it's changed when i started painting again i started painting at home as i think many artists do because taking that jump into a studio is a big commitment and you've got to be sure that you can justify that so it was easier, I'm not going to lie. It was easier when I was at home. But a few years ago, I decided that I really wasn't going to be able to stretch and grow unless I moved and found a bigger space. I was tripping over canvases. I was only working on one large one at a time, and it was just driving me insane. That took a while to find because, you know, places in London are expensive or not right or up four flights of stairs, which wasn't, you know, going to be an improvement. Um, and I found a studio space that's about, depends how I get there, 10 minutes if I drive on a Sunday morning, 20 minutes if I go on my bike, 40 minutes if I go left and right by tube. That's a little bit of um, a hindrance to the regular working that I was doing at home. But other than that, I divide my time. So Monday tends to be admin stuff. stuff. Uh, Tuesday and Friday are my main studio days. Wednesday, I leave kind of floating. And then Thursday is a day that's reserved for podcast and the uh, membership bulk of the work. But of course, it all gets spread,
0: and it all kind of flows into the other areas. But that's the idea of the structure. <laughs> I know. I'm so full of good, structured intentions that tend to go by the bye by about yeah. ten thirty in the morning. But you know, such is life. We set out with good plans, and I think if you kind of achieve a percentage of it <laughs> exactly then then you kind of move forward, don't you? Exactly. And this wasn't always your reality. You initially took probably what was the more sensible route, I suppose, of yeah. being a graphic designer, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um,
1: it came from my dad, who be- he even at A-level, he said, you know, you can only do art A-level if you do it as a fourth one, because it doesn't count. And then, you know, I loved graphic design. I wanted to do graphic design. It wasn't a second choice to fine art at that stage at all. I had no interest whatsoever in doing fine art at that point. But yeah, I worked as a graphic designer. I stopped when I had my children. I had two premature children and uh, A, the funds didn't stack up for going back to work. And B, I had no intention of going back to work and leaving them with somebody else when they still felt <laughs> too small and too fragile. And I loved being at home i wanted to be a mum and be at home until it started to drive me a little bit crazy literally and um i had a patch of depression that went on for a number of years ebbed and flowed as it does a bit and it was when my daughter went back to school that i thought right what are you going to do now because Secondhand clothing sales isn't it for the rest of your life. Um, school, you know, I was very involved in school. Oh, but I knew- you in the
0: PTA. Oh, oh my me lordy. too. Me too. <laughs> I've raised, we've raised the, this army of women raising thousands of pounds to support schools. It's very unsung, unglamorous work. But it is. Um, if you're a doer, you tend to get involved with that stuff. Like exactly. It, you? And you do. And you
1: get involved and you get sucked in, you know, theatre, set design for the school plays and all of that kind of thing. And then I thought, well, I just need something that's just for me. And I went back to drawing classes. I got involved in my local open studio, which again, I helped sort of be part of the team that ran that for a number of years. Also takes a huge amount of voluntary work but was a fantastic jump start to getting my work shown and out there and without that I don't think I would ever have taken the leap because quite honestly you know there was no way I was ready for galleries and I knew that at the time but you've got to start somewhere <laughs> you know I was like do I want to go back to my old job no not really am I going to totally retrain in something new I was working with a coach at the time and she said to me, well, what do you really want to do? And I said, well, I'd really love to see where the painting goes. And she said, well, do that then. And I was like, right. And I kind of pulled up my britches and I thought, I have got to change the way I see this. I have got to stop seeing this as something that I do for me and start taking this seriously. And that means pushing yourself out there, taking it seriously, keeping track of your time, not faffing around, still do a fair amount of faffing around, but you know, just approaching it with a slightly different way. And, you know, so I had a set of goals. One goal was to earn enough in the first year to, you know, pay for the family holiday early on. And then my next level goal was to match what my previous full-time income had been just from selling paintings alone. Um, And then when I reached that,
0: you know, I was like, okay. Sky's the limit then. Yeah. Where are you in the stage of your, your journey now? How many years in? so my first open studios was
1: 2009 so that's over 10 years ago and that was still fairly much at the uh, doubling my toe in the water stage i suppose after that i had a period of time where i was investigating doing printmaking which is very slow i had to go somewhere else to use the facilities and so it was a little bit of time out for that over a two three year period And I had to make a decision. I remember at one point thinking, you can't go down both routes here. You've got to choose. And printmaking just had too many barriers to it for me. So I was like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come back to painting with some of the attitudes that I've learned from printmaking, working with the materials, feeling like I'm experimenting a bit more, but coming back to using colour, which is what I really love and what I really missed in printmaking. So again, it was a decision of getting a little bit clearer, And so that was probably, I would say, 2016. When I first started on Instagram, I only did it because I had a rubbishy old phone and I kept running out of space for photographs. So
0: uh, digital marketing, you've built a substantial following both on Instagram, on the airwaves, on your podcast. Was it clear to you that that is something that you had to do in order to sell your art? How did those two things, Mm. did they coincide? Not really, if I'm honest. Like I say, I
1: started Instagram without having a clue what it was about. You're probably going to ask me when that was, and I would guess maybe 2014. And I really just started using it as um, a diary for my own use. I honestly believed, what is the point in doing anything online? Because what kind of nutter would buy an original painting online without ever having seen it? (laughs) Me! (laughs) Me!
0: And lots of people.
1: (laughs) Lots of people, it (laughs) turns out. Lots of people. (laughs) But the world has changed in that time. And I think that's an important thing to recognize is often when we start on these things, we don't know where they're going to lead. So you've got to, and I think there's a lot of talk now, and we've just mentioned about getting clearer on things. Very often, it's not like that. There isn't a clear path at the beginning. So I think Instagram for me was very much for my purposes. I found it very useful to kind of share, write about my work, document my journey. And then I started to find the interactions really rewarding. One of the things about being a painter is you're on your own you know, you've got nobody to talk to necessarily about it. So I just found that interaction really rewarding. So everything has just grown completely organically on Instagram, because I love it. And somebody wants, you know, what you love grows. And I think, I think that's true. But you've got to try and you've just got to experiment with these things. But
0: there wasn't a big plan. No. Is it planned now, though, your social media (laughs) marketing? (laughs) You must have, do you have a structure with your emails, your posting? You must know that you need to keep Mm. doing it. You know that you need to keep showing up. So I'm fairly
1: loose with the way that I track it. I kind of keep an eye on it. I guess I'm like everybody else. I have some posts that do much better than others. Sometimes I can tell what those posts are going to be. Like a recent sketchbook post I did had a huge reach, massive reach. I kind of know that sketchbook posts do, but it's not everything that I do. If I was led by that, I would do sketchbook posts all the time. I would like base my business totally around sketchbooks.
0: Ultimately, that's where it leads. If you just look look at the statistics, rather rather than being accepting of the fact that some things will be quieter than others, but no less important or relevant or authentic.
1: I think it's a, it's a tricky and potentially dangerous relationship to manage because we do need to keep an eye on them. I think we do need to understand the platform and how it works best. But we also need to keep a really strong handle on us and what we need and what we need best, because ultimately that's the thing that's got to keep going. So while I do look at them, for example, I do take breaks. You know, I know that if I post regularly, I get more reach followers grow quicker does that mean that i sometimes don't post for two weeks yeah what i probably wouldn't ever do is not post for a month partly just because it's
0: really hard to get back on that that horse i think when you take long breaks i really strongly believe that you should treat all this stuff like it's part of a long game so yeah. what would it matter if you didn't post on a wednesday or for a week or for two weeks but i think If you break the habit, it can be really, it can be just a little bit difficult to get back into it mentally. And, you know, so if you just keep it on, keep it going as part of what you do, then uh, it just sort of takes care of itself over a long time.
1: Yeah. And I think that there actually that there is a lot of worry and concern about what the algorithm's going to like, what is the best time. I mean, if you remember when they brought in, they'd switched it from chronological feed, everyone was like, this is going to be oh, disastrous. What a, what
0: a hoo-ha. And we're all used to it now and whatever, you know. And also, actually, it has benefits now. I, you know, your post
1: in the old days, if it wasn't seen in the first 20 minutes, that would be it. It was like down the feed. It was gone, yeah. It was gone. Whereas now, I find I still keep getting interaction on posts three, four days later, you know, quite consistently. So I think that's actually taken the pressure off a little bit, but I don't really plan. The only thing that I do as a visual person is try to get a little bit of a steer over how the whole grid looks My belief is that, you know, there are different stages of people finding you and there are different things that you can do that. And then there's a second stage, which is the point at which they decide to follow you. And that's usually when they've come back to your profile and they're looking at your how your whole grid looks all together. It's to do with what you have in your bio and all of those kind of things, but how it all looks together. So I'm quite aware of how that sort of fits in but I don't, I don't particularly plan it. I might just be aware, okay, don't post two things to, together that,
0: you know, that, that are the same. Do you have an awareness of how much difference it makes to your income and your business to have an online audience? How much, what proportion of your work comes through that online presence that you've built up?
1: I would say from the membership point of view, probably almost all of it. I mean, you've mentioned the podcast. We we do the podcast Art Juice, which is coming into our, uh, I think we've been going two and a half years now. And I think there is a familiarity with podcasts that makes people comfortable with you. And I think the same is true for online, if you get it feeling right. And that's a massive thing online is a very noisy place these days and actually we want to feel that the interactions that we're having online are real and it's not really, it's not that we want to feel they're real and genuine they are real and, you know I've met people who you're really friends with now. exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly. and in the early days I remember my kids saying to me you, you can't go and meet someone you've met online mummy you know you can't do that that's da- stranger danger and you're not allowed to do that because they were little and at school and I was like no no uh, you know she's she's a cat lover and she raises you know she grows cows and I think she's fine <laughs>
0: For a lot of artists, and I have many artists in my my online community, it's just one of those things that's that's happened. I haven't really given a lot of thought as to why. Hello, artists who are listening. For many of them, it can be extraordinarily counterintuitive to put their face out there in front of their work and put their face next to their work, which on social media is something that you kind of need to get comfortable with. Do you know that feeling yourself? Do you recognise it? I think you have a choice, really. You know,
1: you can go the old school route, which is really, really hone your craft until it's fantastic and hope you get picked up by a huge gallery. That is a very, very, very long time of no feedback, it's a huge gamble it's a massive gamble to do that and the chances are that it's a gamble that won't pay off because very few people get to that that kind of level it's not necessarily what we're looking for what we're looking for is people to appreciate our work and to love it and to buy it kind of at the same rate that we can make it we're not machines you know there's a certain number of paintings that i can make in a year i don't need an enormous audience so I think what you have to do is, is accept that if you're not going to go down that traditional route, you're the gatekeeper for your own work and you've got to set your own path in that. And part of that means finding your audience, however you do it, You know whether you do it through smaller galleries. But the thing that I've seen is smaller galleries tend not to be quite so good on social media. They're invested in their business, not your business, you're the one that gets to control your business. So you've got to be your own gatekeeper and decide when you're going to step up. And, and I think, you know, social media is absolutely unavoidable these days. It's unavoidable and galleries look for it as well, you know. Gosh, they, it's like being
0: an author, you absolutely. know, because, you know, if you have that audience in place, it's a fact that you have therefore got people ready and right. primed to buy what you make, whatever that yeah. might be. It can't help but be, be beneficial, really. How do you keep it creative and rewarding? If I'm honest,
1: I probably didn't find it as hard as some people do. I'm naturally fairly extrovert. Although, having said that, I think I'm along with 97% of the population that hates having my photo taken, doesn't like being on video, doesn't like the sound of my own voice, you know, all of those kind of things. I don't think anybody really does. But I think for me, it was part of that journey about accepting that nothing was going to be perfect. Part of being an artist is recognizing that not everything you make is going to be great. You're going to have things that don't go well along the way. And you've kind of just got to show up and do the work as you. And there was a little kind of moment where it clicked. And I thought, I can only do this if I can totally show up as the genuine version of me and not put on a front anymore and that was part of shedding that idea of the traditional gallery way of doing it where the artist needs to have a mystique and is held behind these closed doors and I just thought I I just don't I just don't didn't buy into that it didn't feel like me whereas this idea of okay well here it is do you like it or what you know that's actually a little bit
0: easier to manage and yeah that means that sometimes people go no I don't fine <laughs> yeah we hear a lot of people say you've got to be yourself you if you can really feel it inside and start behaving that way it's very freeing because it really then doesn't matter when it's what you share is irrelevant or not to someone's taste i had a really nice dm about you um alice the other day you mentioned me in an instagram live that you'd popped up to do. And someone said, oh, Alice is so good on video. She should be on TV. So I was wondering if you have any tips for people who are not feeling good about getting out there on camera, let alone kind of hopping onto an impromptu Instagram live. How did you get through that pain barrier? You might not know this, but one of my toe dabbles back to work
1: was being one of those party representatives. No, not for Anne Summers, for... (laughs) For Pampered Chef, which was kitchen oh, product. Yes, so you had to present. You did. <laughs> yeah. And I, I kind of loved it, actually. I loved the fact that it was people in a room that I hadn't met, that I had to get the energy going a little bit. I wanted to make sure that everybody had a good time. You had to kind of manage your time a little bit to make sure you covered what you wanted to. So I think it was actually really good grounding. But tips for video. Uh, In the early days, my tips for video would have been go and put a bit of makeup on, wear a lipstick that you like, make sure you feel okay. Because if you feel okay in your own body, then you're going to be better about showing up. Now I tend to care less, although... I lie because on the days some, when I'm really grotty and my like, I haven't washed my hair and I'm in the studio painting, sometimes I don't do videos on those days. So, you know, the vanity gets us all. But I think coming at it, you know, honouring the fact that we all actually want to look good, um, I think is is helpful in the early stage. Other than that, I would say it's practice, practice, practice. And the best thing is to just sit and think, what are the key points that you want to cover? Three things, stick it on a post-it note, three words just to remind you, you don't need to write everything out, but just three things that you want to cover. And the other thing is don't wait. So much of video content is watched on replay. If you do that thing where you start and you go, I'm just waiting for a few people
0: to come on. Oh no, the death of the live. Because people just pop in and they'll leave straight away again. I, I actually yeah. started watching one last night and they the guys involved were waffling on and I left, get straight to the point, tell yeah. people what the live is going to be about and crack on, you're right.
1: Or even if it's not something that's critical because the reality is when you are doing it live, people do take time to get there.
0: Have something to say. Don't just sit there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you could. Yeah, you could just say what you've been up to that day, or what you've just exactly. had for dinner, and just say, "Wait, you know, somebody's going to be joining me, or something like that." Yes. Your advice about lipstick, I wholeheartedly uh, agree with. That was a real game changer for me. It's almost like I'm putting on my sort of Instagram mask. I don't, I don't wear red lipstick in normal life, very rarely. The other thing that worked for me was finding a place where I felt safe and unembarrassed to appear mm. on video. For me, I used to go out into my back garden because it sort of felt like nobody could hear. Me out there. Whereas if I was in the house, it's like, you know, husband rolling eyes in the lounge and the kids kind of coming in and out of the kitchen. So find somewhere where you can feel as uninhibited as you possibly can and then just. Go for it. Yeah, I like that point of being safe. I think that's really
1: important. One of the things that I always recommend people to do for, you know, photography in general is find the place in their house when the lighting is good. And even better, if you can work out one that's a morning good lighting and one that's an evening good light, afternoon good lighting. And I think a lot of people often recommend that for video to do it standing up, you have higher energy levels. And I I certainly would think okay, if you need judging up, you know, have a good playlist, listen to that, be clear on what you want to say. But actually, I prefer doing live sitting down. And I think when you just mention being safe, I think that's probably why I think standing up I feel a little bit like a tv presenter and it's a persona (laughs) that's not me doesn't feel good it doesn't feel good it doesn't
0: feel good good. so it is very much about finding what does feel good what will allow you to do that and then and then just doing a lot of it and you'll suddenly just not you'll just stop being self-conscious you just will I promise
1: and enjoying it in the moment as well I think there's too much chasing numbers and people are like oh only 300 people watch or only 200 people watch or only 30 people watch me join me live if you had
0: 30 people in a room if you'd had 30 people at a pampered chef you'd have been like whoa exactly yeah yeah and exactly. you know, do you know what? Even if you have one person who is actually prepared to sit and watch you talk live, that's it. You, you've you've really strengthened your connection with that person. Yeah. And even if nobody is watching, somebody might watch back the replay. Exactly. So have no fear. Yeah. Alice, you run a membership community, so you bring artists together. Is that a, a rewarding side of your online presence of your profile? It really is. It's called
1: the Connected Artist Club and it was one of those things, you know how sometimes when you're buying houses, you fall in love with a house and then it falls through and someone else gets it and you're kind of heartbroken for a little while and then something better comes along and you think it was always meant to be. Um, There was a name that I had for it that for various reasons couldn't go ahead and then I came up with the Connected Artist Club and it is just Perfect because it's about that connection with you, connection with your soul, connection with other artists, and connection with your buyers. And it's just the perfect name for encompassing everything that it covers it does take up um a fair amount of time it came into being again fairly organically and it has grown and in the early days I limited it much to the irritation of any any kind of business mentor that I had at the time who was like why are you putting the brakes on this (laughs) last year we launched twice a year uh twice in the year because I just want to make sure that when people come in they're taken care of and
0: the content has grown, and it's pretty big now. And you get access to everything. It's not drip. How do you run it? What kind? Of, you know, what do people do during the week as part of your membership? What? How does that work for you?
1: Well, it, it's really changed. And when I started it, I basically had all these things that I'd learned about how to. Um, work out my own studio practice, how to keep track of it, um, how to do the marketing for it. And what I was finding is that there was so much marketing that was very business orientated, very specific. And as an artist, you don't necessarily need all of that, but you need a good umbrella understanding of everything. And that didn't exist. That wasn't out there. I couldn't find it. So I just wrote down everything that I'd learned in this mad, crazy spreadsheet. And I showed everybody and I said, this is what I want to teach you this is going to take time and it doesn't exist. If you want it, do you want to come in? And there were 25, 26 people, I think, who said, yeah, that looks great. Now, a lot of that content is in there. So, We have it divided into kind of studio, your artist mindset, um, build your business, your audience online and your audience in person. So we have a live call each week. Some of that is implementation calls. Some of it is a focus. We have a work review where people can submit their actual work as what they're doing in the studio. And we discuss it together with that person. It's not just me giving feedback. Because for me, that discussion element is a really important part of the way we learn. And then at the beginning of COVID, we introduced, well, it started as a coffee hour and then it went to a cocktail hour and then it went to a creative hour. And that was uh, a year and a half ago. And we're still doing that on Tuesdays where we all just kind of pitch up on Zoom with our cameras on and work and chat.
0: And well, it's lovely. Those those kind of crazy sessions. That I've, I've run some like writerly sessions like that in yeah. courses and it, it, it shouldn't work, this sort of meetup via your laptop thing, but it really does. It can provide some really good focused time and a little energy boost from connecting yeah. with other people when you work really, on your really. own.
1: It's very special. It's very yes. special. It's a big commitment, but it is very
0: special. Yes, and, um, well done. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling inspired actually that you managed to do all of that. And create your paintings and run a fantastic Instagram and be on episode 130 something of a podcast. Now, I realized when I was planning for this conversation that I asked these wonderful people onto my podcast because I admire what they do and feel that people will benefit from hearing about their story. But there is perhaps a danger that I, you know, I'm uh, not asking people how they when they fail or when they drop the ball or what do you struggle with, Alice? And what do you think? Oh God, I haven't done this very well this week. Or, you know, let's just share a little bit of that.
1: I am a terrible morning person. I am really not very good at boundaries. (laughs) I'm not very good at saying no to things. I tend to overcommit big time and that sometimes floors me. And I'm getting better. I'm learning at... just giving myself a little bit of time before I react and say yes to things but usually you know if you're honest like usually you kind of have a, oh yeah I want to do that and then you make time for it or oh no I don't oh, no, yeah a, exactly. okay okay <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, And, you know, there are some things that have been on my, this would be a good thing to add business-wise, and they've been on my list for three years. Well, they're clearly not a priority, are they? You know, they're clearly not something I want to do. But I think that nagging sense of there could always be more, thats that's my problem. And it's also, you know, it's an issue with the membership in that, you know, it's an ongoing thing. There isn't an easy pause to it.
0: Yeah, that's it. There's a, a, a relentlessness. I think that's what's held me back from running any kind of membership yeah. program because I can, re- I've been running a little one actually, and I can really see the benefit of consistent connectedness yeah. to borrow your word. Yeah. I can really see how that works for people. But for me, as a, as a, as a mom and a person and a business owner, I just, I would want to get it right before I. Did it and it's, it's the non-stop nature of it that I find a bit frightening uh, and for the record things that I'm dropping the ball over at the moment I uh, am constantly mismanaging my diary and double booking people and that's awful because then I have to let someone down or I get a phone call going you're supposed to be at the hairdressers um, I shout at my kids when it's not their fault um, and many many other things and I, yeah and I worry that I'm not productizing my business as well as I could be, but perhaps it's all just good enough, Alice, you know, <laughs> we're only one person, it has to you be- know. It has to be good enough. And I think
1: one of the biggest problems is when you beat yourself up about it or or you start being really judgmental about it. You know, we do things, we do things wrong and we learn from them. Um, and usually we have to do that, I would say three times, you know, in my case, 12, 15 times, you know, before you <laughs> realize this isn't actually working very well, you know, change it, do something different. But, you know, going back to this, how did it feel easy to show up? I'm all right with the fact that I get things wrong and I don't manage things very well. And one of the podcasts during lockdown, I, there was a little bit of a pause before I decided I wanted to be open about it. But, you know, I shared the fact that I'd lost my rag one day so much that I threw a glass through the window. And, you know, was that a proud moment? No. Was it sensible to talk about it right at the time I was in that? No. But a couple of weeks later, I thought it
0: was important to say, look, do you know what? Not finding this easy at the moment. I, I was struck by something I read on, on your website when I was researching our conversation. Um, it says this is a, a lifetime's work. Mm. And it resonated with me. When you, and I think it has to do with what you just said about the continual process of making mistakes and not worrying about the numbers on any one given thing. Um, what does that mean to you, this lifetime's work?
1: I think it is just a process of settling into your own skin, really. I remember my son saying to me, he was little. He was only about four or something. And, you know, like they get to that stage. And he's like, what's the meaning of life, mummy? I was like, oh, blimey. And, you know, I think really you have to work that out for yourself. The meaning of it is to work out your reason for yourself. And I think as long as you keep just asking, why is this important to me? could anybody else do this in a way that I could? Or the way that I'm doing it? Is this rewarding? What am I getting out of this? What am I contributing in this way? That's an incredible thing to be able to do, both artistically and creatively in your own career, and as I've learned over the last few years, in the way that that inspires other people. And again, this is one of the questions. It goes on forever. Like, If I was going to head back into the design industry, I'd have to be some funky 27-year-old. Well, I'm not going to be a funky 27-year-old when I'm 58, 68, but I can be an artist when I'm 58 and 68 and I can control how it looks and how much of it I want to do. And that's amazing. And
0: conversations like this, Why I do what I do. It's been incredibly rewarding. Alice, thank you so much for your time. If you'd like to connect with Alice, listen to her podcast. I'll put all of those details into the show notes. Okay. I think that was a good episode of Just Bloody Post It, don't you? If you would recommend it to a friend, it would be beautiful if you'd leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts because it helps other people find us. Lots of takeaways from my chat with Alice, but maybe my number one was almost a throwaway comment early on when Alice said that she'd decided to take her work as a painter seriously and push on with it in the early days. So I think there comes a moment for everyone, if you want something to happen for yourself and your small business, that you have to take it and yourself seriously. And that means putting yourself out there in a serious way, not straight faced, but I think it's going to have to be unapologetic, even when you feel silly and accept that from that point on, it's a lifetime's work. Loved it. More next week. Thank you for every listen. So appreciated. Bye.